the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. Welcome to another exciting podcast of the Four Horsemen. And so here we have Terry Hollifield, Benjamin Kerfman, Adam Black, and myself, Dennis Thurman, who is hosting this episode. And Ben and I are fresh back from a trip to Dallas, Texas, and the Southern Baptist Convention, where without rehashing the whole controversy... We think there's going to be an ongoing discussion in Southern Baptist life, in fact, across the spectrum of evangelicalism concerning the role of women in the church and uh, their own spiritual Me Too movement that is uh, taking place. So we have folks who are of a more egalitarian mindset. Uh, I think those are kind of coming out of the woodwork. We have people that are complementarian. And then there's kind of this, uh, uh, what, what would we call it, a, a compassionate complementarianism. It's kind of somewhere uh, in, in the middle. As if that complementarianism is not compassionate. Uh, well, complementarianism. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't spell complementarianism without, without men. Without men, that's true. So, or Terry. Yes, without Terry. <laughs> but, but the whole deal, that kind of harkens back to the... the George W. Bush days of compassionate conservatism, right? So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a way of looking at I don't remember that. So, I know that before your time. <laughs> but we want to kind of talk about this, and uh, especially a very key passage of Scripture. So let me read this, and then we're just going to throw it out there and have a free-for-all about what these verses mean and how they relate to us and, uh, and how strict... Uh, this is for church order, and uh, and so forth. And so here's what it says: First uh, Timothy, chapter two, verse eleven. The apostle Paul says that a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, there's a minefield. So who wants to be the first one to start walking through that? Left or right? I think, uh, yes, Mr. Kirkman. (laughs) Uh, who uh, got him? Yes. Who, <laughs> got who, him. who never sees anything in, in shades of gray, <laughs> but the black and white. So, how about it, Ben? This is a difficult topic for me as a millennial because I've been raised my whole life that you can't actually say anything about women at all in public, like a protected class sort of thing. Yeah, like like I mean, even in my marriage when I first got married, like it was a struggle for me to like ask my wife if she would get me something to drink. Because I felt like I was being oppressive and misogynistic if she was in the kitchen and I was in the other room and I asked her to get me a drink. So, so you equate sexism with racism, almost that same type of level of, of things in society. Um, well, I'm just saying, like, that's just the way I was conditioned. Right. Through, you know, the media and public education and society and that kind of stuff is this idea of, 
uh, really like the protected class. Like if you say anything that might that that a woman might interpret as negative or that she might be offended by, then you're automatically a horrible person. So this passage culturally, I mean, if you were to go into a lot of churches or even on national television and just read that passage, you're in trouble. I mean, it would just be considered hate speech nowadays. And so it, it's difficult. At the same time, I don't see how you can make an argument that that text there is a cultural text. So, for instance, there's a text about women covering their heads. Mm-hmm. I've, from the study that I've done on that, I, I believe that that was largely in cultural context. And I think that it's more of a statement about authority than it is about a piece of fabric that you wear on your head. And so I don't require my wife to cover her head in worship. But even the, the principle, though, of authority would connect right. with this. Um, in this in this text that, that you read there, I just don't see how you can make an argument that it doesn't apply anymore because of some cultural reason. Because it, it seems like a very explicit command, and it doesn't really have any conditions on it. Like, a woman can't teach except for these kind of situations. How does that play out in the life of the church? can get really complicated. So in the context of that verse, just I'm going to play devil's advocate here for just a minute. Back up in the earlier verses, it talks about a woman not having braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. So you would say that that should apply today as well, that a woman shouldn't braid her hair or have costly clothes or wear pearls. I don't know that the application would be the same, but I think there's a principle there. I think there's a principle of modesty that's still applicable, yeah. I think contextually, if those specific items that he mentioned were interpreted culturally as Mm -hmm. being flashy or maybe associated with a lifestyle that was not becoming of a Christian woman, Mm -hmm. then that would be fine. The same way as I would say, I'm not going to let my wife wear a really short skirt out in public or in the church. So it doesn't say short skirt, it might say pearls or gold or whatever, and that may have a cultural association with it. But I think the principle is still the same uh, of the idea of instructions regarding modesty. Right. Okay. Because he goes on to talk about it's proper for women professing godliness with good works. So the the ultimate goal is to, you know, present yourself in a godly fashion. Now, the way we would dress and look at things now might be totally different in that culture. We do need, though, in interpreting Scripture, always to look at, at culture as part of that context. And we'll, I'm, I'm imagining we'll continue to do that in this discussion, because I'm going to play devil's advocate on a few more of these things, too. So. He's notorious for that. Yeah, yeah. You All can right. be on Satan's side if you want, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then also, to be, then to your point following up, you also have passages like in Ephesians concerning marriage. Mm-hmm where the wife is to be submissive to the leadership of her husband. So it's not like this is just one isolated text. There are, uh, to me, it fits the whole context of Scripture in the New Testament. And, and I think fundamentally it comes down to uh, to Genesis 3. I mean, when you think about what's the biblical theology of the relationship between men and women in God's order of creation, when you look at the curse... The curse is your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. On the one hand, you can make an argument that male authority is a consequence of sin or is a consequence of the curse. On the other hand, you can make the argument, well, if we're in the church and we're redeemed by Jesus, then why are we allowing the the curse to dictate what we do? And that's something that I think gets kind of makes things a little bit tricky. Um, But but I, I, I would agree with you, Dennis. I think the overall witness of Scripture seems to indicate that God has designed his creation in such a way that he expects men to be the leaders. Okay. So, Terry, let me follow up on this uh, illustration that Paul uses here of Adam and Eve, talking about Adam wasn't the one that was deceived. It was the woman. 
uh, even though we know the thrust of the New Testament blames Adam for the fall. Mm-hmm. You know, in Adam we die and so forth. So, so why do you think, as you understand it, that Eve is singled out in this place here as an example uh, of why a woman is not to teach? Do you, do you see any connection there? I do. And just, just for the record and for our listeners, positions I will play devil, devil's advocate here, not necessarily positions I advocate myself. Sure. Um, well, I think it has to do with Adam's headship. I think Adam is a federal head okay. uh, of humanity, uh, of course, and then also uh, man uh, being in, in the image of Adam uh, over the whole. So, and you're a complementarian. I am a complementarian. Even though you're going to kind of advocate. Yes, I am a complementarian. Just kind of stir things up. So, in complementarianism, uh, men and women are on a spiritual equality with God, right? In terms of our values. Before God. Yes, before God, right? But in who we are and our roles and our responsibilities, there's different functions and even the way we're, we're wired up. So... Would you think that the way women think and make decisions differs than the way men think and make decisions? I think anybody that's ever been married would say yes. <laughs> uh, the answer to that question is yes. That's so misogynistic. It, it, well, it's, yeah. it does sound that way. And, and, but I, I, don't, I don't mean that to say that women make decisions uh, worse than men or men somehow make decisions better than women. Um, we make decisions differently, and um, by and large, women think uh, in a certain way. Men tend to think in a certain way. There, there are discrepancies, of course. Right. But I think those are generalizations. Those are generalizations. But I think, uh, man, there's there's very few things that are more plain than the differences between men and women. I'm not talking anatomical differences or chemical differences. We are different. And if you again, if you've ever been married, you know that men and women think differently. We just do. So, so in the church, where you've got a person who has a position of an elder, who is to safeguard and proclaim doctrine, yeah. that the way a man would go about doing that would differ from perhaps the way a woman would, and and this is part of why Paul maybe brings you mean this in up. mode. Or what? But, but, kind, kind of like this, you know, where a man might say, here's what God says, this is what we believe, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and a woman might say, this is what God says, this is what we believe, but I feel. Well, you know, I would say that, that the subjective element. By and large, women tend to be more in tune emotionally than men are. Uh, which, which is a good time. Right. That's a, that's a mark against the man <laughs> sometimes. We need to be more in tune emotionally. But I don't think that, that passage would be talking about that necessarily. I think it has to do with headship more so than it does with women making decisions on a different basis. So, so the fact that it says Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived. Yeah, Adam, Adam directly advocated his position of authority but followed the woman but to me like and paul will talk about over in here about silly women being led astray with divers lust that people come in or into the homes and, and so forth sure, but that doesn't mean that men aren't led astray by exactly lust. come on exactly <laughs> let's be honest here uh, of, of course of course but i'm just asking again i'm yeah. trying to just yeah. stir the pot here a little bit sure uh, is it possible that the, the thinking and deciding processes 
that there might be a particular danger in this area of a woman being more subjective than objective. Again, that's a sweeping generalization, but I think it's possible, but I don't think that that's what that okay. passage is okay. for. You guys may disagree. Do, do you have any thoughts about that? Ben does it because his wife may be listening to the podcast. <laughs> he, he, is, he is trying to be very pensive. He's, he's exercising wisdom. I, I am because yeah. this is something I've been thinking a lot about, about. And to be honest, I don't, I don't have as much clarity as I would like. I think the fact that this issue is coming up in our denomination and in our culture is actually really good. Because I think people like me actually need to buckle down and be a lot more serious about having a position on this. So I would consider myself complementarian. But if you asked why in the specific context, um, I have some ideas, but I don't really feel as confident as I would like on why I believe it's that way. You know, I think that, the, and Dennis, I don't want to jump ahead. You can stop me if, I, if I'm jumping ahead too far. But I think one of the reasons that this is such a controversial issue in our culture, Ben, is because we tend to view it in a very humanistic way that that uh, somehow submission makes you less than it, than you would be less human than you would be less valuable than you than you would be if you were the person in authority. We see submission as weak and authority as strong. You know, where the biblical worldview would say that there is there is authority in submission in the Godhead Himself. Right. And the son is in submission to the father, but he's no less God than That's the father. That's a whole other debate, too. That this, whether the son's less God than the father? No, no, the eternal subordination of the son. Right. I was listening to a debate on the other Right. Day. Well, but, but even, even but if even it's not w- eternal, there still was that subordination. So, so you notice this thing, even within the Godhead, they are, they are co-equal, and they are the same in substance, yes. but they are distinct in their personhood sure. and in their function. Yes. And in the same way, being made in the image of God... Man and woman are both human. They are they are both human kind. They're equal before God. But they are distinct in things like personality and responsibility and those kind of things. And the problem is, is like what you said. We we a lot of it is I think is kind of like this almost like pseudo Marxist type influence of class is evil and being in a different function is evil. If a woman can't do everything that a man can do, then they're not really equal. And it's like. But we don't want women to do everything that men can do because we need them to do things that we can't do. Right. And, and, I, and I would <laughs> you know? say, Dennis, you know, again, this is maybe jumping ahead, but I think C.S. Lewis, as he often did, it, uh, said a profound thing in his book, The Four Loves. He said, yes, uh, the man should wear a crown, but it should be a crown of thorns. Hmm. And that we are to love our brides as Christ loved the church. Oh, absolutely. The crown that we wear should be one of us dying uh, to make her holy. And so, yeah, we should wear a crown, but we got to remember it's it's of thorns, not of gold. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, clearly biblical. Well, as thorny as, as those verses are, for Mr. Adam Black, I have saved a special one. Excited. <laughs> there in verse 15, it says, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So how does that whole matter of birth and babies uh, fit in to the context of what we're talking about. It means she can be saved. So Ben's wife is really saved. She's got six kids. Hey, right? so, yeah, that's a she's good. gloriously let's, saved. Yeah, right. Let's hear it. Adam. She's, she's, got, got, enough, well, she's got enough grace for, for some others if you need yeah. to. I want to take a step back real quick. No, just, just for <laughs> yeah, a second. Yeah, he's dodging. Yeah, I am dodging that one. No, but I think a lot of this has to do with, you look in our society, is the whole the equality movement that everyone's equal yet at every turn you're celebrating diversity 
we're all equal, but we must be shown as different. Like it's like the same. Uh, yeah, the the goal is the, special protection. The goal of diversity is to eliminate diversity. Right, right, right. When it when it succeeds, that's what happens. Is is there is no diversity. Everybody's just the same. And the goal yeah. of tolerance is to be intolerant. So, yeah. We all look different, but think the same. Right. So <laughs> I think I think it is one of those. I think that all this idea is the reason the church is scared of it is because you know we're we're all about equality yet we're pointing to differences constantly. Um, now, what was the question about the childbirth? Women in the church and their uh, function, their role. Well, number one, I couldn't do childbirth. Well, it uh, seems to be a barefoot. We're, we're, we're very, 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 very glad. Yeah. Yeah. I can't handle a cold, much less the childbirth. Uh, since you mentioned that here's a woman that can do something that you can't do. Right. Now, granted, it's, well, we should be it requires equal. cooperation <laughs> for that to, to occur, the two becoming one flesh. But is, is there not a, a special value that a man does not contribute uh, a blessing, a saving that happens, a redemptive work that she's accomplishing through her children that that we can't do. You know, so. Oh my! Yeah, I mean it's, um, I mean just with her girls, it's it's amazing the way we handle things is completely different. You know, okay. I'm kind of a suck it up buttercup type, and she's the the comforter. And so you're complementarian as well. It sounds. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's it's um, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. I mean, mm-hmm. a mother can have such a dramatic influence. I have an influence from the pulpit. I hope that I'm making a difference that way. My wife does not have to speak from the pulpit to make a difference in the world. The whole objective is to glorify God in the particular calling that you have, and one's not greater than the other. They're just different. To me, that's the whole genius of complementarianism, that God has designed roles for us that we're well-suited for, you know. And and so I think that's true in the home. I think it's true in the church. Now, another one we can talk about down the road, what about society? What about government? What about, like, denominational employees and things like that? Is it okay for a Margaret Thatcher to be, uh, yes. you know, prime minister, <laughs> you know? Or a Hillary Clinton to be no. president. <laughs> so, so not being a, a, a woman is not the issue, but it's what kind of woman, I, I think. That's, that's the whole thing. So, you mentioned that your, your wife wouldn't have to. Yes, uh, yes, about speaking yes. From, from the pulpit. So when it says here, uh, Ben, we'll come back to you, since I know you have strong thoughts about this. And Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach. Is that like period? Uh, she can't do that, or is there just certain context where she can't? Um, what, what's your what, what's Paul dealing with there specifically? The rest of that is is a key thing that she should not teach or have authority over a man. Right. What I'm seeing now are arguments within the church on what complementarianism even is. So, for instance, I'm seeing a distinction between some people say they make a distinction between authority and teaching. Mm -hmm. So I know some people that will say it's okay for a woman to teach from the pulpit as long as she's not an elder because what she's teaching does not carry the same authority as an elder would. Other people would say it's not just about the authority, but it's the fact that she actually is teaching men in the church. And so both of those people would say they're complementarian, but when it comes to their practical living that out in the church, 
whether they believe that it's about an office or about a function is going to determine what women are going to do in their church. Uh, I think the clear reading of that passage is that a woman should not be teaching or in an elder position over the church, either or. So, for instance, I would not have even my wife, who I love and is a great theologian, I would not have her teach the church in a Sunday morning worship service. So your wife can't make disciples. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that she cannot teach in the Sunday morning Since service. Since she remained quiet in the Sunday morning service. Well, pretty much everybody remains quiet in the Sunday morning <laughs> service. But. Well, but it's saying, well, Paul, first of all, isn't only talking about the Sunday morning service. He just says, right. he says, in every place. The men should pray, lifting holy hands, and those things go for, go forward. So I'm assuming he's talking about every place also in this case. So should it be that not only does, should your wife not teach or exercise authority over a man, but that she should also remain quiet in every place? And shouldn't pray publicly then for right. a corporate service. Well, I think, I think part of that, again, depends on culturally. Like, what is he referencing? So, for instance, my understanding from the way the early church operated is that there were a plurality of elders in the church and that there was also a plurality of teaching in the church. And so it would not be unusual during worship for there to be multiple teachers teaching in one service. And so in that sense of being quiet, I think what it's saying is, is hey, when they open up and say, do any of the elders of the church or any of the men of the church have a word from the Lord to share that your wife doesn't need to be one of them that's standing up and doing that, that she should sit quietly and not be uh, exercising leadership or teaching authority over the church. Well, I, one of the things about this text in particular, because we, we studied this when I was at Fruitland because we had a girl in our class. And when you talk about the context, right? Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus. What is in Ephesus? The goddess, the temple of Diana, which was full of priestesses, right? So as they were converting, we can imagine, um, these women who had authority, who had power, who did teach, who did all these things uh, as they come to know Christ, um, was coming into the church. And so there's a part of me that thinks that that's the main reason that was written for that particular context. Um, because, like I said, I, the, the be silent at all times, how does that... Where he says in every place. In every place. Well, how does that line up with the Great Commission? Are, are women not supposed to fulfill the Great Commission or or make disciples, or should they only make disciples of women? I mean, I, I, I could see that, possibly, but that's where I think there is somewhat of an issue with that. When you look at the command to be quiet, that's in the context of teaching and exercising authority. So I don't think that's saying, you know, you can't order food at the restaurant if you're a woman. I think what it's saying is, is in any situation where you would be teaching or exercising authority over men, that you should not do that. So in, in in the church, what about a Sunday school teacher who has boys and girls in her class? Is that appropriate? You asking me? Yes. Um, a lot of people make a distinction between children and adults because they would say that boys are not men, but they're male. They and are. Girls are female. So you're again. I'm not trying to. Pin you down. Well, for one, I, the, the first argument what I, I would make is that Sunday school is not in the Bible. 
So, I mean, well, so you're, you're, call it your Bible study group. <laughs> but but what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is you're trying, you have to be careful when you try to apply a 2,000 year old structure onto a 2018 structure. Well, what would we have to difference? do that all the time. I mean, that's how, that's yeah, how well, that doesn't matter. We have to do that yeah. theologically, but, but what I'm saying is, is, is in, the in that hypothetical the situation, that's not a situation that scripture explicitly addresses. Well, but, so you're going to yeah, have to but, try to exegete and apply that appropriately. Yeah, but that, that's a, that's a red herring because Dennis is talking about being in a, a group where there are kids present. Whatever you want to call it. Backyard Bible Club at call your home shop. or the, the woman is babysitting children and she wants to teach those kids the Bible. Are you talking about outside of the church or inside the church? Because well, you said the, Sunday school. The church or the, is the people. Oh. Okay. Are, are, okay. Are you are you talking about gathered worship or lost people activities it, right? in the community? Yes, a, a gathered group. Let's just put them in the church building, if you will. M- most churches have Bible study groups, Sunday school class, whatever you want to call them. Uh, children's worship. Uh, there's all those different kinds of things. So, would it be appropriate in that context for a woman to teach teenagers, male and female? I say absolutely, male because. Oh, sorry. Well, that's Adam's perspective. Okay, well, while he's thinking through it, you say absolutely. Why would you be confident of that? Why would it not contradict this? I think you have to view it in light of all the scriptures. So, again, a woman's going to lead people to the Lord or lead a boy or girl to the Lord, and she's not going to stand before God and God say, How dare you teach them my word? I, I, I don't see how that. Um, jives with all of Scripture. I think if you look at that verse and say that, and, well, women should never talk. Period. Uh, I just don't see that in light. Of, well, now I didn't say that. But no, 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 should, I know, should I, they only teach girls if they're female, and and only men teach either a mixed group or boys? I think in light of the Great Commission, I think go into all the You're world good with it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now you can. Collected your thoughts down there? <laughs> I, I would say in an ideal situation, the only people that I see having the responsibility for instructing children biblically are uh, elders and their fathers. So now my church doesn't even operate in that context. But part of that is cultural because we have things like Sunday school and all that. That's a cultural phenomenon in America. But I think ideally, from a purely biblical perspective, it needs to be an elder or a father that's instructing children spiritually. So, so Terry, even in a home environment, in the raising of children, and instructing them in doctrine and the word, if you had kiddos, would it be okay for Kelly to, to teach them scripture when you're not around? Anywhere? I hope she does. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would hope so. No, notice I say responsibility, not your necessarily. Mom. That means they're doing all <laughs> well, that. Well, and there's a difference between having the responsibility yes. versus it being wrong for them to do it. Yes. So if it's, it's just because the onus falls upon the man doesn't mean that it would be wrong for a, a woman to teach the kids the Bible, does it? Is it wrong for your wife to teach your children uh, theology? No, but she does that She does that depending on what I prescribe. Yes. Right, in submission to your authority. Right. So, so tell me how that differs then in the corporate assembly of the saints. Suppose that uh, there's, I'll just use Beth Moore since that's, you know, everybody talked about her. Suppose I ask Beth Moore to come in 
and to speak on a Sunday morning and to share a budget, a message. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'd have to have a lot more money, right, guys? Yeah, but anyway, just theoretically, this happens. But she's under my authority, and all the other elders there in the church. So that if she says something that's doctrinally incorrect, we can correct that. We can deal with that. Uh, and and so, uh, to me, is is that is that a possibility? I would never do that. Okay. Why not? Because, well, for one, for me, there's a, there's a big distinction between gathered worship on Sunday morning and the rest of the week. Why? Because I think that that's a time set aside explicitly for worship and for the elders of the local church to instruct the church. So it's only the elders that can instruct them on Sundays? I would say in general. I think, I think there could be exceptions to that. But only men? Yes. Why? Because I think, well, not it, it's not just the fact that they're men. There's no, I would not let anyone that I do not believe is qualified to be an elder preach on Sunday morning. Well, but you said it doesn't have to just be elders. That non-elders can, can preach on Sunday but morning. But they would so. have to be an elder in another church. Okay, so Robbie Zacharias couldn't preach at your church on Sunday morning. If I believe that he's biblically qualified to be an elder and he agrees with the doctrine of our church, then I would consider so, it. So someone has to qualify to be an be uh, qualifiable to be an elder in order to teach in the church, whether they on Sunday it. morning in gathered worship, yes. Well, which is kind of what Al Mohler, his argument was when he was quiz, quizzed about this mm-hmm. about seminary, like being the president of the seminary, mm-hmm. uh, that you can't have those folks. That would be a spiritual headship to me. Did you go to nine marks? No, I heard this. He, oh, said, this, he, he said this in the convention. He, he said it in nine marks, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that seems guy, different than I was, I was surprised. I was like, wow. The, the, the guy from Wretched, is he an elder? So he he, I believe so. I, I believe he qualifies. Yeah. Qualify. Okay. I got you. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so that's why I'm asking, you know, is it only qualifiable elders, you know, people who could qualify to be an elder that can teach on Sunday mornings, or, you know, um, is it... Um, Somebody who wouldn't qualify, you know, could, the only way I could think of, you obviously wouldn't have someone who was immoral, you know, morally disqualified from being an elder, uh, that sort of thing. Well, I think like, like, like a Fruitland student, okay? They're a student at Fruitland, love the Lord, God's called them into the ministry, they might be even gifted in preaching. Too young to be, too spiritually I don't, young. I don't think it's, a, it's an age thing, but I think it could be with those particular qualifications in Scripture, they they just might not be ready yet. Well, that's why I said spiritually young. Right, yeah. And yeah. so I, I think, because I was that guy, yeah. there were times that people let me teach that I probably shouldn't have. Um, and so I, I would do that. And and, and so part, it, part it, of me it, shepherding that church is protecting people from false teaching. So was it unwise of them to let you teach or sinful for them to let you teach? Uh, I think... I think in in those cases it was sinful for them because I don't think they were shepherding their people well. Help me out. Is the qualifications in the teaching or the position? Well, and that's what I'm talking about. People make a distinction between office and function. Right. Because I would say that there's plenty of people who could teach or preach that that wouldn't wouldn't even be pursuing an elder, right? That's where I kind of... The qualifications, not like Andy team. Stanley. Amen. Great. Well, Deep and wide is a great book. The, the, author- the authority, even that I have, flows from the word. Right. So if a if a woman is teaching, and it's biblical authority that she's conveying, 
How, see, how I, does I would, that dip? I would say that the authority that you have um, uh, is affirmed by the church on the basis of the word. Okay. So, so for um, instance, I would make a distinction between someone who can preach and an ordained man. How, how about when, uh, after the crossing of the Red Sea, when uh, Mary... Well, that's a different dispensation. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that's Old Testament. Yeah, we yeah, unhitched we, we, that. No, we're, we're hitching it back. <laughs> when, when she uh, breaks out into this uh, praise song and, and leads all the congregation, and obviously it's the teaching of scriptural principles because we find it in, in the Word of God. And leading worship, by definition. Yes, she was. Was, was that it, was that in gathered worship on the Lord's Day? They were all gathered. They didn't, they didn't worship on the Lord's Day in the Old Testament. Yeah. No, oh, they worshiped on the Sabbath. Right. Yeah. Right. See, we've un- was it, was we've that un- was that in gathered worship on the Sabbath? The, they the people of God were gathered together. I'm just asking you. See, that's to me is it's a context thing. That's a different context. So, so let's say so it's a church building. So we've been unhitched no. from that. Understand that. Yeah. No, it's so the other worship on the Lord's Day. Hey, man, welcome. So on, on Wednesday, <laughs> do you have other gatherings for worship besides Sunday morning? Um, we don't right now, but but if it was something Would it be different, okay? I, I think depending on the context, I think if it was like a Saturday night, we're going to have this person come in and teach on like a particular topic or whatever. And again, this goes back to the idea, like we talked about the goal of preaching. I think there's a difference between teaching and preaching. So if... Oh, New Testament it, it, if a woman is what's done in the church and preaching is what's done to lost people outside the church. No, I think oh, yeah. I think preaching I think preaching <laughs> said, "Oh yeah." I think preaching includes <laughs> exhortation and that that makes it distinctive. So so if I'm teaching well, something, that that's a, different than me exhorting someone to do something. But in the passage we just read, it, it talks it talks about teaching. Right. In the corporate assembly. Right. Which, Which I, I we, we my understanding preaching. of that but my understanding of that would be Teaching in the context of gathered worship on the Lord's Day. That's not so talking about what's, what's Saturday night. What's the biblical night. distinction that that your the biblical grounds that you're using to distinguish between a woman can teach on Saturday night but not on Sunday morning? Because for one, I'm saying that she can't preach in either case because there's a difference between preaching and teaching. So she can't exhort the people. Yes, that's basically what I'm saying. I don't think that I don't think that scripture so gives the woman a right. Teach doctrine. Yes, but there's a difference between her saying, "Thus saith the Lord, I am commanding the church under the authority of God and His Word to obey this." So to she do can this. teach doctrine. Just be clear on that. She, on Saturday she night, can te- she can, she teach, can teach doctrine, doctrine without exhortation. But not on Sunday morning. She couldn't even teach doctrine. Well, I don't think Sunday morning is the appropriate place to do it in that context. So what biblical basis are you using to distinguish right. between she can teach on Saturday night but not on Sunday morning? Because on su- because Sunday morning is the gathering of the church and it requires exhortation. If you are not exhorting no, the people we of God to Sunday obey his word, then you're not sure. Like yeah, but I'm talking about service. I'm talking about Sunday no, but morning worship. you said worship. that she couldn't even teach in the, in the Sunday school setting. I'm saying in an, in, in an ideal world, Sunday school doesn't exist. Well, you can call it whatever you want, but in the world that we live in, right? I'm talking. I'm talking ideals. I'm not saying like even my church doesn't practice it the way that I would totally prefer for it to okay, be. Okay, so churches that practice women teaching doctrine on Sunday mornings is that unbiblical? I think I think that anyone who is teaching and not exhorting is being unbiblical on Sunday morning. But they can teach and not exhort on Saturday night, and it's not biblical. I think that that would be fine. I, I think this is totally unbiblical <laughs> position to have. 
Okay, right, so, 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 so here, you still haven't answered my question. What's the biblical basis that you're using to distinguish on the, the 12 hour change of hand on the clock that says a woman can teach doctrine in the gathering of the church on the Saturday night, but she can't teach doctrine in the gathering of the church on Sunday morning? I, I think the because in the the only time that you see a corporate gathering of worship in the scriptures is on the Lord's day. Yeah. So you're trying to apply it to a no, bunch no, no. of events I'm during the week that don't actually exist. the real world that we live in right now. You're saying it's wrong if a church allows a woman to teach doctrine on Sunday mornings, but it's not wrong if a church in the real world that we live in right now to teach doctrine on Saturday night. I'm saying that that there shouldn't be any teaching on Sunday morning, ideally, except for the it's preaching of the asking. Word. I'm saying in the real world that we live in right now, where women teach on Sunday mornings, doctrine, you say that's... Are wrong. you talking about during the service, or are you talking about in Sunday school? So now... <laughs> I, I'm trying to understand, because your question is not clear to me. It doesn't matter. It, go, do, it does matter to me. Go go to well, I think it's defining let's, the gathering of let's, the church. Well, let's go to Sunday school. Okay. Is, is a woman allowed to teach doctrine in Sunday school? Yes. Without exhortation? Yes, I think that's fine. Okay, so that's a different position than you had before. I don't think so. Okay. But right. but is a woman allowed to teach doctrine without without exhortation in the Sunday morning worship service? No, I don't think that's okay. And I'm asking... But that's because I make a distinction between gathered worship on Sunday morning and Sunday school, Wednesday night, Sunday what's, night, and all that that's other what I'm, I think and that, that's what I'm asking for. How did you, what is the distinction? The distinction is the only one, the what only... The church? The only worship, the only corporate worship in the New Testament is on the Lord's Day. So everything else is something that we've invented. It's not commanded well, in Scripture. Or day by day. They were they were gathering in homes day by day, but when you see corporate worship, corporate worship is happening on the Lord's day. Corporate worship's not can't take place in homes. So they were gathered. It was just a different building. No, it's not about the building. It's about the context, which is the corporate gathering in a home. So I, I think that word and sacrament has to be present in order for it to be a corporate gathering. So they weren't taking. They didn't do the Lord's supper there. I don't think they did it every day. Did they do the Lord's supper in homes? Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it's about a building. I agree. And I But I but what I'm saying is is I, is I, I do think I do think it's about a time. Okay. And I'm I'm still asking for the biblical distinction between that. Because the model that we see in scripture is the church gathering on the Lord's day for corporate worship. And so when they gathered uh on the Lord's day and when they gathered on different days in people's houses there's a different set of authority. And the only difference is the building. And the time. No. The difference is what has God prescribed. And that's what I and and that's what I'm saying. I'm asking you to tell me where God has prescribed that and you haven't told me that yet. Because they worshiped on the Lord's day. And they worshiped during the week house to house. It says they gather during the week house to house. Not for worship. <laughs> Not for corporate worship, no. So if they individually worshiped on their own. No, when, when I when I when I say corporate, I'm not saying more than one person. I'm saying the the entire church as a body gathering cannot did not take place in houses. So 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 this is why this is why I would not let small groups take communion because I don't consider I would not let small groups take communion because I do not consider that a corporate gathering of worship so on the me, Lord's day. Let me ask one. This is the last time I ask it. <laughs> Give me the biblical basis for not considering Christians gathering in somebody's house. To study the Word of God and and praise together, not corporate worship. 
Because word and sacrament has to be present. And what's, where in the Bible does it say that they didn't do that there? Where does it say that they did? <laughs> you're making an argument from silence. You're making an argument from silence. Well, so it's, quite are you. A, it's quite an assumption. So are you, though. To say that you won't allow people who we'll are meeting <laughs> in their house to take worse, to take communion together. Because a communion should be overseen by the elders. Maybe an elder's in the house and they oversee communion. Well, that's a different experience. <laughs> So, so in the house, then they can do it. As long you as take control of this, as long as an elder there is there, <laughs> as long as an elder is there yeah. to administer the sacraments and to and to exhort the people with the, the word of God. Innocent bystanders, <laughs> you're reading in now. Then yes, I'm Bill. Go ahead. All right, L- listen, listen to this. Philip, hey, we're gonna we're gonna take a survey, okay? No, I want you. I, I want I'm all of our here. listeners. I want all of our listeners to comment with hashtag Team Terry or hashtag Team Ben. <laughs> I want to see. Or if you really appreciate Team Ben, yeah, we're over here. Nice, hashtag, team hashtag loving. And all right, Dennis, you can have your episode back now. Okay, thank you so much. Let's talk about <laughs> Philip the Evangelist, since you didn't like the Old Testament example of Miriam. Amen. He had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So when Paul gets into that context, uh, Jerusalem and the threat is coming to him, uh, you've got those four daughters that are, are mentioned and Agabus uh, all together. So uh, was Philip uh, messed up? Uh, he wasn't uh, doctrinally where he needed to be by letting those, those women prophesy. Is it saying that they were prophesying in the corporate gathering on the it does, it 10 a.m. on Sunday morning? It doesn't say that they did that, no. But, uh, so you're making an argument from silence. No. If they, if they had a prophetic gift, that is what kind of gift? Forthtelling. Yes. Preaching. And I would think exhortation was, would be part of that. Oh, prophetic gift. Yes. Correct? Right. So why, why did they do that? Where did they do that? And was it okay? Well, does it say where they did it? Well, it doesn't. Okay. So then whatever you would well, include anyway, is from anyway, speculation. I'm just asking. I, I would say that I don't believe that they were doing that in on the Lord's Day and gathered worship. So if they were preaching outside that context, it would be okay. Well, are you saying that prophesying is always preaching? I think we needed to find that. I mean, as, as we think about it in this context, yes. I, I, I mean, he talks about the prophet Agabus who... You know, speaks authoritatively to Paul there, and it's in the same context, same same wording. So, I mean, we don't we don't think they are Old Testament kind of prophets, like foretelling the future or that sort of thing. But because we've got uh, a, a new a New Testament sort of. Prophet. I think it's possible that some of that may have happened in the early church. Yeah, but I'm still. I mean, like did this, with John this particular context. Okay. So, what about in Corinth, where the women were creating a hubbub in the corporate gathering, and Paul has to kind of. Calm down on, on all of that. Right. And that that would be interpreting and all that going on. Because they shouldn't be doing that in gather worship on the Lord's Day. Period. Or because they were I think I think chaos the text the that we've been reading indicates period. Okay. okay. Just just exploring. Just just axing. Okay. <laughs> so let's move beyond that then. Uh, what about um, a woman being depressed in the Southern Baptist Convention? Because I expect Fully expect that someone will nominate uh, a prominent. Okay, so now you just heard me argue with Ben about uh, women. I'm saying women can do certain things, and he was saying women can't. 
We, take, we did. We did hear that actually. Let me take a women. Let me take did a women camp position, and I, I would very briefly say that I would think that the head of the Southern Baptist Convention is a spiritual authority, and I would say that I would I would reserve that role for a man. Is the convention a church? It is not. That's why I said it's just a head of spiritual authority. Okay. Yeah. So for, for me, that's. Do you look at that the same way? Uh, I would probably agree with Terry. Okay. On that. All right. I, especially in, in the sense of the Southern Baptist Convention, it is it is a voluntary collection of autonomous churches, as opposed to a, a, a normal denomination. And so, with well, it being true. with it being a collection of autonomous churches, um, it would only make sense that our churches together would select a leadership that we would also select for our own autonomous church. So in that, in that, which is why historically, I think with the exceptions, it's always been pastors uh, that were elected. And the other two laymen. Because the, because the assumption is that while it's not a church, if I'm going to be under leadership with other churches as an elder, then it needs to be another elder that is in authority over me. Would it not be the church? So what, what do you mean? Same Would the way. SBC, when gathered, Depends not on how you define the church? church. That's, what I'm, that's what I was kind of... Hitting that, because I, I mean, I, I would consider that it is when you're gathered. Um, therefore, I think the role of the president should be a male. Okay, so I, I think we're really pretty much all in agreement. We're complimentary. Sorry, Beth Moore. On the authority issue, we're yeah, yeah, if Beth Moore's listening, you are invited to Pole Creek. I, I would probably differ a little bit in that I would permit women to speak in those mixed gender settings or in worship if they are number one if they're married they're under the authority of their husband number two if they're under my authority now y'all probably differ with that what if they're a widow uh, again they'd be under my authority and and I think it'd be fine Um, what if their husband's lost (laughs) then they're not married (laughs) (laughs) there there are a lot there are a lot of other factors but um but anyway, uh, but I think basically what we have to understand is, and, and we'll close out the podcast this way, this issue is not going away. It's, there's going to continue to be a push. And just like we could see coming down the tracks, uh, the church having to deal with homosexuality, and we could have a whole podcast about that. Maybe we need to. Uh, you know, how do we deal with folks that uh, claim that lifestyle? But that's not going away, and this is not going away, because the culture is just constantly pushing that, quote, equality button. And our people are hearing all of this stuff, and they too often are influenced more by society than Scripture. Now, we don't like to think that way. We wish it were not that way, but that is the reality. So there will be a price to pay if we're going to be these these dinosaurs but we do have to be careful, I think, the way we frame it, the, how we come across that that we're not putting women down, that somehow their dignity, their value is less than men, uh, that uh, we're misogynistic and, and so forth. Because I think sometimes we have come across that way. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we have to, like when I preach on the family now, I have to always make sure, like last Sunday I did this and, I talked about single parents out there. You know, years ago, I I didn't find 
need to do that. But now you've got so many that are out there. So in the same way, we're going to have to address these issues. And, and uh, I wouldn't say tiptoe around it, but, uh, but frame it in a, in a very compassionate way, I think, even as we hold to the truth of Scripture. So with that, if you have, uh, if you want to do hashtag Terry or hashtag Ben, <laughs> or just do uh, hashtag uh, love for Adam and myself. <laughs> wow. Hashtag godly men. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unity, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that comes out. And God bless you, and we'll see you next week. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast. And be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man. And they call him for Katrina.